And now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who could answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial Management, SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Good evening, and thank you for joining us again for Money Matters with the Lewises. Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. I am Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management here in Raleigh. Each night, each Sunday night here on News Radio 680 WPTF, we answer your calls regarding your financial questions. Normally joining me would be my parents, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, and Linda Lewis, However, tonight, it will just be I answering your questions. So if you have questions regarding cash flow planning, tax planning, retirement planning, estate planning, education, or college cost planning, perhaps insurance needs analysis, or investment planning, investment management, any of these topics are on the table this evening. The lines are now open for the next hour. The number to call is 919-860-9783 to ask your question. And if you'd like to call us during the week, our number is 919-872-7000. Also, our website is DougAndLinda.com. And for those of you who do call and make an appointment with us, we have been happily giving away free books to new clients And your choice would be one of our three uh, recent favorites, The Wealthy Barber, The Middle Class Millionaire, or The Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. So as we get uh, started tonight, uh, Joe is the engineer, and since I don't have Doug or Linda to speak to this evening... Um, I'll be, uh, he'll be the other voice that you'll hear this evening, giving us the calls and everything else tonight. Well, there's some big news and the news has been due to the Congress, uh, recent budget deal. And this is big stuff because it regard it's in regard to social security and time is running out now on some of these social security strategies that you may have, uh, implemented or have heard about. Many couples should brace for two big changes when it comes to claiming Social Security benefits. Because of Congress's recent budget deal, two popular claiming strategies are coming to an end. The file and suspend and the restricted application. Both of these options are going to be eliminated. So the timeline is, uh, I think it was November 2nd the deal was passed and you have about six months until May 1st, 2016 to either implement or Call a financial planner like us at Lewis Financial Management and see if this might be an option to choose for you. 
Choosing one of these strategies to maximize Social Security benefits and making that decision soon could mean hundreds of thousands of dollars to a married couple over their lifetimes. With the looming changes, many couples will only have six months to get it right. You'll need to do some careful retirement planning. So here's what you should know. Changes to the file and suspend strategy will take effect in six months. So you still have some time to take advantage of this claiming method if you meet certain age requirements. Under the current rules, once you reach your full retirement age, you're able to file for your Social Security benefits, but request that you actually not be paid those benefits. By doing so, you can receive what are known as delayed credits, which increase your Social Security benefit by 8% per year, not counting any cost of living adjustments that may also be added. But using the file and suspend strategy, you can allow other family members to claim a benefit based on your earnings record, and then while at the same time allowing your own benefit to continue to compound and grow. However, after May 1, Instead of family members being allowed to receive a benefit based on your earnings record after you've merely filed, the law makes it necessary for you to actually be receiving benefits for them to do so. So what can you do? If you are at full retirement age or older, you can file and suspend your Social Security benefits until May 1 and still have a spouse or a child collect benefits based on your earnings record while your own benefit is suspended. But the elimination of the file and suspend strategy in the new budget deal means younger workers will not have that option. If they suspend their benefits at their full retirement age, they can still earn delayed retirement credits and no one can collect benefits on their earnings record during the suspension. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family here to help you with your financial planning on News Radio 680 WPTF. Number to call is 919-860-9783. We have plenty of lines open for you tonight. Again, that number 919-860-9783. You know, another popular strategy is the restricted application. And this is um, a filing strategy that once you reach your full retirement age, By filing a restricted application, you are essentially telling Social Security, hey, go ahead, pay me my spousal Social Security benefit and uh, not on my own retirement benefit. By utilizing this approach, you can receive at least some Social Security benefits while still allowing your own retirement benefit to earn delayed credits until as late as age 70. At that time, you could switch over to your own higher benefit. But again, that will now no longer be an option for millions of Americans. So what can you do? If you'll be age 62 or older by the end of this year, you can still use the restricted application strategy. If you are younger than 62 at the end of 2015, you will no longer be able to just collect spousal benefits at retirement age or later while letting your own benefit grow. However, spouses who are already collecting benefits on their partner's earning record can continue to do so and switch to their own larger retirement benefit at a later date, up to age 70. So here's what you should do to explore both strategies. You need to talk to a certified financial planner, someone like us at Lewis Financial Management, who can look and see you know, how your particular situation is and how Social Security fits into your overall retirement plan and then perhaps even help you maximize your benefits. 
So this is big news, Joe. It was a big thing to hear that this strategy that maybe a lot of people don't know about, um, you know, need to either act or find out if it would fit their own their own particular situation. Now, I thought I might give us an example because you hear a lot of words about this file and suspend. So if this applies to you, do give me a call tonight. The numbers are... 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. So here's an example. Let's say John and Mary are both age 66 and they've been married for 40 years And in that household, John was the primary breadwinner, and Mary never worked outside the house. John is eligible for retirement benefit of $2,000 a month at his full retirement age. And Mary, at her full retirement age, will have no retirement benefit on her own, but will be eligible for a spousal benefit of $1,000 per month, or 50% of John's full benefit. John wants to delay his benefits until age 70, increasing his benefit by four years by 8% per year to get a delayed retirement credit, which would equal about $2,640 a year. Doing so not only boosts his own benefit, but increases the size of John's survivor benefit that would be payable to Mary if John dies first. However, waiting until John turns 70 means that Mary won't receive any of her $1,000 a month spousal benefits until then either, since Mary cannot get spousal benefits until John actually files for his own. And since there are no delayed retirement credits for spousal benefits, the extra four years of waiting just means Mary permanently loses those four years of $1,000 per month benefits with no benefits in return. To resolve this issue, John would file and suspend upon becoming eligible at his full retirement age of 66. And by doing so, Mary becomes eligible to claim her own $1,000 a month spousal benefit, accumulating four years worth of spousal benefits that she wouldn't otherwise have. If Mary had been younger, she could have also claimed, but her spousal benefits would be reduced for the starting year. John gets his 8% per year delayed retirement credit, increasing, increasing his delay, uh, increases for delaying his own benefit until age 70. The reason why I wanted to go through the exercise is, although they may not have had the benefit of that spousal uh, income, um, that, you know, perhaps they might not have known that it was even available to them. But by taking that extra $1,000 a month, during those four years, while she was claiming her spousal benefit, they can put that aside. Four years at $1,000 a month adds up. And as you're looking at planning for retirement, these are the things where you want to eke out a little bit more. So, Joe, you can really see how this is a big deal to people at that retirement age. I mean, it seems scary to me just thinking about it, and I'm nowhere near retirement age. It really does. And a lot of people are concerned. So when they think about, well, how can I get a little more income for the family? How can we sock away a little bit more? If earned income has ended or even if earned income is continuing, this can be excess income that can be put aside on a pay yourself first monthly basis and over four years can really add up. So there's a great 
amount of people probably listening tonight. If this is your situation, definitely give us a call. Ask your question. See if perhaps this might um, be something that you can do to increase the family income. Well, this is the time of year when tax strategies are on everybody's mind. So give us a call tonight if you have a question about your own tax situation. Here are two tax strategies I thought that might be timely. We've gotten some questions recently from other clients, and so I like to share those. But before we get to that, let's take a call. Hello? This is Diane. Diane, you're live. Yes, uh, this is Diane. Hi, Diane. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. hope you are. I really am. How can I help you tonight? Okay, my question was regarding the budget deal that was signed on November the 2nd. Regarding um, the Medicare premiums that were supposed to increase for those people that are not collecting Social Security but are eligible for Medicare, uh, did that pass? You know, I think it did. I brought some information, but don't know if I brought it on the Medicare, but I can definitely speak to that next weekend. Or you can give me a call tomorrow at 919-872-7000. I do think it is a part of what was passed. However, I don't have the particulars with me tonight, but I would love to give you those details. Right, because I was reading through some of the budget online, um, because they were supposed to increase by, I think, 42%, something outrageous. Uh, But somewhere in between the fine lines, it sort of looked like it was going to increase, but maybe not quite that much. That's that's what I'm recalling is, is... I'm not recalling it being a 42% finalized number. I think it was lower than that, but I'm not certain, so I'd hate to lead you astray. Right. Um, I'm sure other people, I, you know, I was not even aware of it until I saw it um, a c- couple of months ago in one of the AARP magazines. Yes. You know, it's funny because this was sort of a sneak yep. in on both counts, both Social Security and Medicare. There wasn't a lot of publicity on it. No, so, yeah, I was... I was surprised, too, to, to, to find out it was probably only two weeks ago that I heard about either. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd like to know, too, if there's any, um, you know, are you allowed any time? I mean, can you still file for Social Security and be exempted from that increase? Because it would take, it would take effect in January. You know, Diane, I will be able to, I'm going back to the office after the show. If you'll leave my, uh, your number with the engineer, I'll make sure that I call you back tonight and I'll get you that answer or if you'd like tomorrow morning. But, um, yeah, I, I too am curious as to exactly how it affects people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm sorry. I don't have that information with me tonight, but, um, I'll give you a call back first thing in the morning. And then we'll answer that question together. We'll find out. And I'll make sure I bring something to the radio station next week so we can answer that for all the listeners. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diane, for calling. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family. We help Diane with her problems. We can help you, too. It's only on News Radio 680 WPTF tonight, but you can reach the Lewis family, 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783, for your financial planning help. You know, it's funny. Those types of concerns are uh, topical, especially when there isn't a lot of information that's put out there. Didn't make the news heavily. Um, but, but thank you for listening, Diane, and we will definitely get that answer to you in the morning. I'll give you a call. 
in regard to taxes, which are probably on a lot of people's minds, uh, there are several things you can do. Those who intend to make charitable donations as a year-end tax-saving strategy need to follow all the rules in order to make the most of that tax deduction. For example, and this is where I got two calls this week, taxpayers need to present a receipt if the deduction is at least $250, $250. And on the other side, if you're thinking of making a deduct, um, a contribution from your IRA, you're allowed to make a direct donation to the charity and count it towards your annual minimum distribution. So this is really powerful. What we're hoping also will be grandfathered in as far as, I mean, there really haven't been a lot of tax law changes this year. It's been somewhat quiet. But we're also hoping that uh, the deduction being made directly to the charity would allow you to not also have to consider it as taxable income. Looks like we have another caller tonight. Steve, this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, yes, um, I'm kind of on the heels of that lady that called a few minutes ago. Yes. The Medicare insurance premium. My understanding, uh, now let me give you my scenario. Sure. I am 66. I have not yet chosen to receive my uh, Medicare benefits. It's my understanding that if you are receiving your benefits, that your monthly Medicare premium is going to stay the same. If you're not receiving your benefits, it's going to go up like $40 a month. Okay. So if you haven't filed yet, no change. Or if you have filed, you there would be no change. It's my understanding, if you are receiving your Social Security benefits, that your Medicare insurance premium will remain at one hundred four ninety a month. Okay. If you have not, elected to start receiving your Social Security benefit. Then you'll be affected by the increase. And you pay it on a quarterly basis. Like, I get a bill once every quarter for 300 some dollars from my Medicare premium. Okay. My understanding, if you have, if you are in my situation, you're going to get hit. I see. Confirm that. Okay. That's what we'll confirm next weekend. But that would make sense if you're currently, and I wonder how long, did you read how long it will last? Forever. Okay. Well, forever in Congress world. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's also a possibility that the le- there's a lady that's in charge of it may decide not to hit those people that are not getting the benefit. From what I read today in regard to that, that, it, was, that it was not finalized, but I'm not certain, so I hate to speak to the point. But um, but I think you're absolutely right that if if the increase does happen, it was less than fifty dollars. It was forty, is what you read. It was like forty six hundred dollars increase. That's what I that's what I read also under fifty dollars. So you know we will pick up this this um, conversation on Sunday night. I'll come with a little more information and find out the specifics, and then be able to relay it to um to 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 you and Diane. And thank you, Steve, for calling. We appreciate you listening. Have you been listening? I have one more question. Sure. Do you know if I want to start receiving my benefits in January to avoid the increased Medicare insurance premium, when do I have to notify uh, the Social Security Administration? Well, from my experience, on on all levels, it would be ASAP. Um, It usually takes longer than just a, a month or so to get things going. 
Uh, if you if you really wanted to make sure it was January, whether it's Social Security income or 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 benefits, now they have an office um, and a way to make an appointment. But I would go online if it were I. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just go to socialsecurity.gov. See what you can find out there. There are some things you can do online without question are faster and then others you need to actually make an appointment but they've streamlined it because think about it there are so many people who are in this age bracket who need attention need to answer these questions so they have geared it towards a much a much better uh, website and call center but I really I really don't have the answer as far as how quickly you could sign up but with a January 1 deadline I would say that's you know less than 60 days yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll call them. And- yeah. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the call. Okay. You're All listening right. to Money Matters with the Lewis family, only on News Radio 680 WPTF. We still have plenty of open lines just for you to help you with your financial planning problems. Number to call is 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. And it's only on News Radio 680 WPTF. Another tax issue is what to do about capital gains distributions. You'll, you are going to be taxed for capital gains and income distributions from mutual funds in a taxable account, and you will need to pay these taxes even if you don't sell any share or decide to reinvest the money back into the funds. Selling a fund to avoid any distribution is tricky business, but those who consider including a mutual fund in a taxable account are advised to buy it after it's done with distribution payments to avoid taxes on these returns. And that's a timing issue. Uh, so do be sensitive to the fact that capital gains distributions are being announced and that they will probably occur close to the very end of the year. So if you need to place it in another fund, which has a low expected capital gains distribution, that might be smart planning for you. Well, give us a call tonight if you have a question. As you can see, Social Security, Medicare, taxes, these issues are on other people's minds. I'm sure if you uh, share your question, it will um, bring to mind some other questions for other listeners. Now, there are some things you need to know when you get an inheritance because several factors can be confusing and our general advice is don't act too quickly. Receiving an inheritance is really... um, It's beneficial to take your time and address issues slowly because large sums of money can provide huge benefits, but these gifts at someone's death often coincide with emotional loss and that can open up complicated investment choices. You know, sometimes you hold on to things that you've inherited and you don't want to sell because you, you kind of feel like you're betraying someone when it might not be in your best interest to hold on to it. So while there is no one-size-fits-all plan, there are several factors to consider before dealing with money. First, get some help. The planning process starts before the money comes in. That may involve talking to a financial planner before, or if you know that you are going to be a recipient of a large inheritance, and maybe if it's your parents, you know, maybe your parents are working with a financial planner. Ideally, the same one who they've been working with will be available for you to work with. And I know from personal experience, that's what we're doing at Lewis Financial Management. We're working with second generation, 
Some people in some families, third generations. So you should look for a certified financial planner to work with, someone who works with a registered investment advisory or as a registered investment advisory firm, which is what we are, meaning that they have a fiduciary duty to their clients. This is very important. For people who inherit a sum bigger than what they've managed before, you just really don't want to try and do this on this on your own. Some of the saddest situations are when people end up losing it all because they didn't know how to handle it. While some inheritances may be fairly straightforward, some, especially involving large sums that can involve trusts, need to be funded properly. Simply moving the money into the heirs' names, your names, or your children's names can set you up for avoidable taxes and expenses. So you have to use a lot of caution. Get some real good advice. Find uh, an advisor who can speak to your particular situation. Cashing in an inherited individual IRA or individual retirement account early could leave you paying a mound of unnecessary taxes. And there may be surrender penalties involved with an annuity you might inherit or taxes on their gains. All of these things have to be considered. One of my clients I met with this week, they have a situation where they inherited two large annuities. And the question was, well, when did it begin what was the amount? What's the size of the, the amount that's going to be above the inherited amount? You have to answer these questions. You have to find out what's going to be the income and would it make more sense for you to move it out and move on. For heirs in their 50s and 60s who inherit a portfolio from an octogenarian parent, it's likely the risk profile of the investments is much more conservative than is desirable. So some of the holdings that the parents may have owned for years may no longer be sound investments for you. You know, you might have company stock that pays a small dividend, but the stock itself hasn't changed in value for 15 years. Or it might be duplicated in your own portfolio. All of these things need to be analyzed by a certified financial planner. So if this is on your mind, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. Lewis Financial Management has been helping others in the Raleigh area for the last 30, uh, 33 years. And we've been on the radio answering your questions for the last 25. So if this is on your mind, give us a call. After assessing the portfolio that you did inherit, you need to evaluate whether or not it's still appropriate for you. It's basic financial planning, but it needs to be based This whole portfolio needs to be based on your risk profile, your financial goals, your tax bracket, and your retirement target. So uh, you need to get in front of a financial planner to find out, well, how is my situation different? What's my timeline? And how can this really impact my own life? Some other things to consider. You might want to pay off debt and start saving If you've been neglectful of these items, this might be a way to get back on track. A windfall serves as a reset button for many people. And if you're looking for a way to get back on track with your financial lives and develop good financial habits, this is usually where a younger person might say, okay, this is what I really need to do. But establishing the savings is key. Depending on how secure your job is, you also need to think about keeping an emergency fund. An emergency fund needs to be three to six months of living expenses. And this is crucial that you not think of it as income, but living expenses. What bills would you need to pay over the next three or six months? 
Also, you may use the money to maximize or increase or start a retirement savings, either through an employer plan or through your own IRA. And even though it's necessary to separate emotions, investing decisions really need the time to take some reflection, to meet with someone, and find out what's appropriate for you. You know, Joe, it really breaks my heart when inheritances received by people are just an example of where someone has a huge opportunity and they squander their parents' life's work. You have a certain responsibility to the person who left you the money to be a good steward of that money. And this is where you really, if there was ever a time where you need to get some professional advice, this is one of those times. Well, Mark, it looks like you have a question about reverse mortgages. Isn't there some sense in a reverse mortgage? Because I I guess everyone's seen the ads with the late Fred Thompson uh, sort of giving information about that product where it says you still wind up owning your home. But my first part would be, isn't there some sense in which you are putting a lien or uh, some some kind of encumbrance on your home that you'll have to pay off at, at death? Well, that is a good question. Reverse mortgages are usually a way for you to take your home equity. So let's assume you still had a small mortgage on the home. Once that mortgage is paid for, the bank or the person or the company with whom you got the reverse mortgage, they now own it and pay you back. So you receive income, and then like you intimated, at your death... Whoever would inherit your home, whatever was borrowed against it, in other words, paid out to you. So it depends on how long you live. But the difference between the sale of the house and what's remaining equity-wise would then be what's left over and able to be inherited by an heir. Gotcha. So it's, on the one hand, it's sometimes it's a lifesaver for people. Let's say the house is is paid off or has a very small mortgage and yet you're you have you you, you have your 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 land rich or house rich but cash poor now you have a way to create an income stream from something you own while remaining in your own home and at your death you know that well at the very least if there's something left over it'll be split by my heirs but it's been able to provide me with a way to stay in my own home it gets a little more complicated when you have two spouses because what if one gets sick and has to leave? So it does provide you with that benefit too, is that, well, if one spouse can stay in the home, you you can keep the home. So it's one of these things that um, is very beneficial if you happen to be house rich and cash poor. Okay, so if you had a $100,000 house that you paid for, and now its market is two hundred thousand. Right. And you took fifty thousand dollars out before you passed away, then that would leave your heirs presumably with a hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of house. Yeah. It's a it's that's oversimplifying. No, 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 that's that's how it feels. What okay. ends up happening is you receive a monthly income stream. Right. 
So you don't, it's, it's, it's not like a home equity line of credit where you would write yourself a check for 50000 and spend it down. Right. But it is a monthly income. And what happens is they own the house, that lien you're speaking of, mm-hmm. with the intent of selling at your death. Okay. Isn't, isn't what you get paid, Deborah, also a function somewhat of what the prime rate is at the time? So with the prospect, good or bad, of the Federal Reserve raising the prime interest rate, doesn't that make the income that you get out of a reverse mortgage a more attractive prospect? It does. Okay. Now, just just because there are other listeners who might be, have this same question, let me also say the process of the reverse mortgage is very specific. You have to go meet with a counselor, and the counselor's job is to qualify and educate. So... Yeah, you you are required in the mechanics of this whole process to be educated on what would be at risk and what you'd be able to receive. In addition, that process is going to say, well, here's if the risk of of potentially not owning the home or wanting to sell it later is is not something you want to risk, then they're by law qualified to answer these questions to make sure that you're of sound mind and able to make this choice and are doing so on your, you know, on your own. And um, they really have to walk you through it. And then the, then the qualified lenders who fit into this category, they too are going to say, well, here's the, here's the amount of equity. Here's the more, here's the amount that you could get as a payment. And then it begins and it's not going to be a hundred percent, but, but there's a lot of protection out there where they used to be much, much more loose about those rules. Now it's 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 fairly well run process to where you have to be educated to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into. And then on the other hand, there are a lot of clients who I've seen through the years, and for whatever reason, it was a godsend. So it can create a very nice relief to a family to where the income, the monthly income to pay, to pay those monthly living expenses isn't there, and they now have a way to do so and stay in their own home. Right. And I, it, it would also, for I, I, I'm sure you've seen clients, and probably those of us that have lived very long have probably seen family members fight over a house. True. Having that in play <laughs> would, would pretty much... Yeah, make that a, a a given, so it would take the fight out of that situation as well. It does because normally you live long enough to where there isn't. You know, it, it pays off the debt, and that's it. <laughs> well, very good. That was yeah. my question. To see. Well, thank you for calling, Mark. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you have a question about financial planning, the number is nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. Money Matters with the Lewis Family, only on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, another topic that comes up frequently, and it's not a pretty one, is, well, I think I'm going to be going through a divorce. What's at risk in regard to my retirement plan? 
And I guess we should begin with federal law requires that participants in employer-sponsored retirement plans designate their spouses as their beneficiary unless the spouse waives their right in writing. So every married person has already named, intentionally or just because that's the rule, their spouse as the recipient and the owner should they, should they die. So if this needs to be changed due to divorce, then you need to find out. And here's, you know, a little a little a little information on what you can do to begin that process of finding out what you need to do to split a retirement plan through an employer sponsored um, through your employer. That's going to be different than an IRA. That's really why I bring that distinction up. Assuming that you and your spouse adhered to the practice of naming the, sp- of the spouse as the beneficiary, a document known as a Qualified Domestic Relations Order, or Quadro, which is part of a divorce settlement, specifies how retirement assets are to be divided. So this thing, a called a Quadro, specifies the amount or portion of a plan participant's benefits that are paid to a spouse, former spouse, child, or other party. A quadro typically governs assets within a retirement plan, such as a pension, a profit-sharing plan, or a tax-sheltered annuity. Benefits paid to a former spouse typically are considered income for tax purposes. If you contributed to a retirement plan, a prorated share of your investments is used to determine the taxable amount. Well, let's pause and take a call from Jeff. Hi, Jeff. This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I hope you're well tonight. I am. I am. How, what uh, kind of question do you have tonight? Sort of a caveat to what you're discussing is I have, I'm going through exactly what, what you're explaining, and I have the funds figured out. But I, as I was looking through my documents, I found an old 1099 INT form where I was paid X dollars of interest, but I hadn't, I, I, I had no way of knowing what the balance of the account was. Is it feasible that I can find the balance or calculate the balance? Well, let me ask you two questions. So the retirement, so if you're going through the divorce right now, are, and are, is your question about a current employer's retirement plan? My question is about a savings account from 1993 where I received uh, interest payment that was recorded on a 1099 INT, but I do not know what the account balance was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, in regard to that, here, here are the general guidelines. If you're going through a divorce and you need to split things, then the bottom line is everything is laid out then divided, and if it's not amicably, then a judge gets involved. So are you prior to a judge getting involved or post a judge getting involved? Prior to a judge getting involved, but I'm just trying to yeah. see if it's feasible to figure out what that uh, uh, pre-marriage uh, balance was in, in my savings account so I can uh, claim that it was pre-marital assets. Oh, well, that um, that simply is stated as a premarital asset. But I guess tell me a little bit about your situation. 
Are you currently employed? Yes. All right. What's your income? Uh, 88. All right. And you're just now going through the divorce? That's correct. Okay. And I'm in the splitting of assets space. Okay. And what do you have in retirement accounts? Uh, 200 in a uh, 401k and 150, just say 150 in the IRA. Okay. And how about in personal assets or accounts? Um, maybe 20K. Okay. All right. So when you, when do you want to retire? How old are you? 40, 48. Okay. So you've got a long work history still or work, work life still ahead of you. Well, yes, and, and, and essentially my question was, is it feasible to figure out what the balance was on account from just a 1099 INT form when I don't know what the account balance was from 1993? Yeah, I just don't think it applies, but I'm, not, I'm no attorney, so I don't know. But um, how much was the amount of the interest? Five, like 565 $565? That's, that's, that's what was reported to the IRS on the uh, INT. That's correct. I, I just don't think it plays into the, the picture at all. What's going to be more important to her is going to be the 350000 that you have in retirement accounts. What does she have in retirement accounts? Probably probably 200 plus pension. Okay. So I just don't think the 565 plays in, but I'm not an attorney, so I don't know. Um in regard to the 401k and the IRA, two things that I would are very important. You're going to want to, if there is no judge involved and you guys have an amicable split, then you're going to want to do two things. Change the beneficiary designation on both accounts. Okay. and uh... On the 401k, when you signed up for it, just like we were just speaking, a retirement plan, uh, plan through an employer you already elected or designated your spouse as the beneficiary. If you want to change that, you now have to get permission or their agreement too. So I don't know how easy that will be. On the IRA, you can name anyone you want to. If you had already named her, you're going to want to you're going to want to change that. Okay, and I have a three year old and a ten year old involved. Would you recommend put put in uh, maybe a beneficiary for them? Uh, sort of like in a trust? A beneficiary for them on the trust. Well, um, IRA assets are going to pass to a person. They, by law, are passing not by ownership, like a house could do, or an investment portfolio would do. They're not going to pass by will. So should something happen to you, they won't pass by will. IRA or 401k plan assets pass because there's a beneficiary designation form. So on that form where you, for example, on the 401k would be saying, and I would like you, um, the, uh, you know, my, my current wife who's going to become my ex-wife to agree that I take you off as the beneficiary and I name our children. Uh, on the IRA, you need to find out through the custodian what their form is and then name your children if you want to remove her. As far as a trust... 
I understand what you're saying. Okay. I, I can put it in my three-year-old's name, but obviously a three-year-old. No, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't put it in their name. You say that you know, should I die, it would go to my three-year-old, because really it's just passing at your death. It's not. It's you don't transfer it. It's you don't give it away. So an IRA and a 401k are going to be assets that you own. They're, they are untaxed ordinary income. And when you remove money from that account by selling whatever, what, you know, whatever investment is in it, taking money from it, you pay ordinary income taxes. If you were to die, you can name who would inherit it. Currently, your wife, soon to be ex-wife, would be the inheritor, the recipient of it. If you'd like to change who would inherit it should you die, then, you know, because of divorce, it's one of the most frequent reasons uh, that people will change it. But it's also one of the reasons, one of the circumstances where people forget. They forget that they need to change the beneficiary designation form. So you'll hear us frequently speak about this point, and you're in a great example. I'm getting ready to go through a divorce. What do I need to do to prepare myself? Well, you need to protect your children. I don't want it to go to the ex-wife. Should I die? I want it to go to my kids. Now, we, and hopefully you're going to live a long life. You'll retire. You'll receive income from this 401k, which will be rolled over into your IRA, and life will go on. And as money comes out, you'll pay taxes at the ordinary income rate. But should you die, you've covered yourself and you've named your children as the beneficiary. Okay, well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for calling. Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, only on News Radio 680 WPTF. Number to call to help with your financial planning problems is 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783. And Deborah, tell me, if they want to reach you at your beautiful office tomorrow, what number do they call? That would be 919-872-7000. And uh, we are in Midtown Raleigh and have been at the same building since 1990. And um, this is what we do. We answer questions all day long for clients. Uh, for people who are interested in getting to their answers, whether it's retirement planning, cash flow planning, um, how to pay for college, how to manage my cash flow is a very common question. And it moves from how do I maximize my savings while I'm earning income to how do I create an income stream from those investments once I retire. And something that has made news recently is that there are new funds that are now offering an income strategy to retirees. And in my opinion, it's, it's dangerous. But here are some of the things that you need to know. Money management firms are searching for new answers to an old question. How can retirees draw a steady paycheck from their nest eggs, what they've saved? These firms are launching new products that aim to support a certain withdrawal rate in retirement. And as you know, Doug and I are frequently saying and a withdrawal rate is an inappropriate way to look at withdrawing from retirement funds. What you need to know is what your living expenses are. Once you know what the monthly living expenses are, you'll know what amount you need to withdraw. Once you know the expected amount of income that you're going to need on a monthly basis in retirement, you can plan for it. Regardless, some are designing these funds 
to make steady monthly payments to retirees, and they're basing it on either a 4 or a 5% annual withdrawal rate. And I've even seen some as low as 2.5. These products are meant to help older investors make a smooth transition from earning a paycheck during their working years to drawing steady income from their savings. And they seek to give investors some reassurance that their portfolios can stay a step ahead of inflation and maintain their lifestyle in retirement. But these products don't offer any guarantees. Of course they can't. And in my opinion, they give people a false sense of assurance that that if they withdraw at this rate, that things are going to last. And I can name a couple examples where the managed payout of these funds launched at inappropriate times. Now, most recently, let's just think about the financial crisis, 2007-2008. There were several of these managed payout funds that were supposed to offer steady distributions to investors, but because of this market turmoil caused some of the funds to sharply cut or even eliminate payouts. So I think they're dangerous. I think they're the wrong way to approach retirement income. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you, if, if you were to ask anyone who has tried to use a withdrawal rate based on a percentage, one of two things happens. I have more income than I need coming out, therefore creating more taxable income than I need, or I'm seeing my portfolio deplete because I'm not using just my normal reoccurring monthly living expenses as my base amount. And instead, when things are up or worse, when things are down, I'm having to watch that portfolio deplete. So because of such funds having these ups and downs just being unnecessarily inherent in these products, I think that the only way to approach this is by working with a certified financial planner. And this way you can fine tune your withdrawal rate at your own needs pace. And this is based on just knowing what your monthly living expenses are. The one-time withdrawals that might come from retirement portfolios will be for those things that we can't plan ahead for. Or discretionary. I want to go on a vacation. We have a big anniversary, whatever it is. If we know that that's upcoming, we can look at the portfolio. We can fine tune the timing or we can fine tune where it's coming from. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. We still have a few minutes left in the show to solve your financial planning problems. And the number to call is 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783. Well, Joe, you know, in the world around us, we are getting lots of news about what's going on whether it's good or bad. So as a change, since we see a lot of bad on the news about what's happening around the world and is very sad, there is some good news. And some of that good news is about global dividend stocks. And they have become one of the best plays in the investment world lately. Companies paid out a record $1 trillion last year, and about 70% of those dividends came from non-U.S. companies. So if you have been wondering, is this the right place for you to add some diversification? Here's some food for thought. Relative to other asset classes, dividend-paying stocks are likely to outperform, especially outside the U.S., where the practice of returning earnings to shareholders is more common. 
Global dividend yielding stocks are attractively valued right now and yield more on average than their U.S. counterparts. Additionally, dividend yields are in most cases higher than corporate bond returns, with the added benefit that many dividends are poised for growth. And by investing globally, investors can gain exposure to a broader range of income opportunities. U.S. and European companies have long recognized the benefit of strong and growing equity income, attracting investors with the cash flow to sustain dividends and highlight a company's underlying health. The dividend culture is spreading to Asia and the Pacific region also, and even some of the emerging markets. And with an increasing number of global corporate management teams focused on strengthening balance sheets and generating good cash flow, the case for long-term dividend growth is strong. This is broadening the universe that is out there for investment and investment opportunities for you. So another thought to add to your uh, conversation that you might have with your financial planner. Um, Like us, we're helping clients create portfolios that offer a lot of diversification, whether it's based on types of investment, investments, where to invest. But you need to know these things. Where are the big dividend producers? They're not just in the U.S., Another reason to have global dividend-paying stocks is that a global approach also offers equity investors the opportunity to receive income from different sources throughout the year. And this is what some of those best active money managers for mutual funds know. For example, European companies typically pay out more than three-fifths of their annual distribution during the second quarter. North America shows the least seasonality, with many firms making quarterly payments. UK firms tend to spread their payments more smoothly than in other parts of the world, although they tend to pay higher final dividends in the spring and summer following annual general meetings. There also have been a steady flow of global global stocks returning cash via what's called special dividends and share buybacks, further supporting the case for international diversification. So don't be afraid of adding international mutual funds to your portfolio. They will, especially if you're uh, in the accumulation phase. You know, let's say you're uh, like Jeff, uh, you know, late forties and still got a good twenty ahead of you. You want to make sure that you have a a meeting with a certified financial planner so that you can create a portfolio that has longevity to it and that will be able to help you accumulate during during your your high-paying working years. But uh, these money managers, and I had the privilege and honor of meeting some of them uh, out in California two weeks ago. I know you heard me speak of that. They give us the, uh, the view that, yes, they'll be low, but positive results. So as we go into the fourth quarter, we'll talk more about this. As for me and my family, Doug and Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis, we're here Sunday nights to answer your question. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to call us during the week at 919-872-7000. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. 
or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. The Triangle's News Talk Traffic and Weather Authority, News Radio 680 WPTF.